Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 16. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Turn with me to Matthew, chapter 16. And if you weren't with us last week, we left off with the with the religious people, the Pharisees, I like to call them religious, religious folks, the Pharisees and uh, the Sadducees. And they were asking Jesus for a sign. Listen, this is the fourth time that they are asking Jesus earlier last week. We looked at it. This is the fourth time they're asking Jesus to show them a sign. Now, when, he, when they ask for a sign, they're asking for Jesus to make the stars fall out of the sky or to do something miraculous like that. The fourth time they're asking for a sign. The truth be told, they're not seeking a sign to validate who he is. They're actually seeking entrapment. They're seeking to trap him. And so they ask him for a sign. Now, it's a good thing that I'm not God. Say amen, y'all. <laughs> good thing you ain't God either. Uh, but, but it's a good thing I'm not God, because I would have gave him a sign. I would have burned him up with lightning or something. No. Oh, we want a sign. Poof. How's that? Now you're toast. You see those cartoons, the person just standing there all charred, you know what I mean, with a little smoke thing coming up. That's what I would have done. But thank God I ain't God. <laughs> no. They want to seek a sign. They're not really looking for a sign. They're trying to entrap him. And the truth be told, saints, we talked about it last week. Don't be looking for a sign. We shouldn't be people who are seeking a sign. Instead of seeking a sign, we should search for the Savior. Don't seek a sign. Search for the Savior. Well, not only that, but if you want to see a sign, well, look, there are signs all around you. There are signs all around me. The cross, the resurrection. You want a sign? Here's the greatest sign. For God so loved the world, say it with me, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's a sign for you. A sign God loved you so much, he sent his son to die on Calvary's tree just for me and just for you. Well, these hypocrites, as Jesus called them, he said, you can't discern or you can discern the weather But you fail to recognize all the signs pointing to the fact that I am the son of God. And so it was at that time that Jesus abandoned the Pharisees and the Sadducees and he came into the area of Caesarea Philippi. And it is in this area that Jesus asked a question that is the, got a pen, that is the most important question ever to be asked of men. Jesus said, who do men Say, I, the son of man, am. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. Saints, if you're with me, say amen. And when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, 
He asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But he, Jesus, said to them, But who, underline this in your Bible, but who do you say that I am? See, that's the most important question. Who do you say that I am? Well, Simon Peter, he piped up and he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living, living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you or oh, how happy are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell shall not prevail against it. Against what? Against the church. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Here's a fascinating statement. The keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus Christ. Why? Because they were seeking a sign. That's why they were just sign seekers. And he said, don't go tell anybody yet. And so Jesus comes into the area. Now, he leaves the disciples. Stay with me. He leaves the disciples, and and he comes into the area of Caesarea Philippi. Where is that? Caesarea Philippi is located way up north, about 25 miles northwest of the Sea of Galilee, and about 120 miles from Jerusalem. There in the area of Caesarea Philippi, when we took our trip to Israel, we actually visited this site. And it's probably one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Very pagan, but very beautiful. And as you're going traveling up north, you can see Mount Hermon. And Mount Hermon, it's kind of hard to get a picture of Mount Hermon when the bus is moving. But I got a picture, and it's kind of blurred, but I got a picture. And on the top of Mount Hermon, it's like snow-capped. It is beautiful. And when the snow begins to melt from Mount Hermon, it travels down, and then it springs up, and then it makes its way into the Jordan River. This area of Caesarea Philippi is a very pagan area, as I said. It's, uh, it's, uh, they have a god by the name of Pan, the god of Pan, that they kind of have a, 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 they actually have an altar kind of carved into the mountain to this, to this god of, uh, to this pan god. This area is full of Baal worship, full of pagan worship. Herod built uh, a, a temple there to honor his son. So it's in this place, understand, it's in this place of idolatrous worship. It's in this place where there is a variety of gods that Jesus asked the disciples the question, who do men say that I, the son of man, is? Jesus said, fellas, he said, what's the word on the street? Fellas, what's the popular opinion about me? What are people saying about me? And then they said to him, they said, well, Jesus, you know, some people are saying that you are the reincarnate John the Baptist. 
And then they said, well, and then some are saying you're Elijah because Elijah was a miracle worker. Elijah called down fire from heaven. He, he, he would start and stop the rain. He took off in a fiery chariot. Elijah was a miracle worker, Jesus. And some people are saying that you're Elijah. And then there's some people are saying, Jesus, that you're like Jeremiah. Well, now they get a little bit closer. Because you remember, Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. And the Bible says that Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And so, well, some people think he's Jeremiah. And then there are some, they said, some people who don't want to deal with it at all. They just say that they're lumping you right in the pot with all the other Jewish prophets. Some say you're one of those prophets. Who do men say that I am? You know, you could go to South Point Mall today. I wish I had a camera crew on staff. I would have did this yesterday. Go to South Point Mall. Just take your camera. Walk with the people. Hey, would you mind if I ask you who who you think Jesus is? And you will get, again, a variety of opinions, all kinds of answers. Some people will say, you know, Jesus, did he really exist? And some people will say, oh, yeah, Jesus, yeah, he's a really good teacher. He's a highly moral man. He, he, you know, he gave us some good moral standards to live by. Some people will say, well, Jesus, Buddha, Hare Krishna, Confucius, Muhammad, all, you know, prophets. Listen and listen close. All of those things concerning Jesus are nice things to say. Those are all Great things to say. Yes, he was a good teacher. Yes, he was a good man. Yes, he was gave us good moral standards to live by. But to say those things as it relates to Jesus and to give him priority in that respect is actually doing Jesus a disservice. Because Jesus does not want priority. Jesus does not want people to elevate him to a certain level or make him equal with other prophets. He doesn't want priority. He wants preeminence. Preeminence? Yeah, he wants to be first. Do you know, Jesus is in a class all by himself. Say amen if you know what I'm talking about. All right, say amen if you're awake. That's most of y'all. The man is in a class all by himself. And to say that he is a good teacher, to say that he is a prophet, to say that he gave us good moral standards to live by, well, that's a nice thing to say. But that is not giving Jesus his proper place in your life. Jesus does not want compliments. He wants complete control and authority. And so he turns to his disciples and he asks the million-dollar question, who do men say that I am? That is the important question. Not, 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 not just who do men say that I am, but, but who do you say that I am? That's the important question. People are going to think what they want. Every year, Time Magazine, Newsweek Magazine, they all do a story on Jesus. Who is he? All the time. I'm like, don't y'all have anything else to write about? We already know who he is. That's why I don't buy the little cheesy magazine. If you sell Time Magazine, I'm not take it personal. I'm just saying, I mean, look, we already know who he is, but they all want to know who is Jesus. The question is, who do you say he is? That's the question. Who, who is he to you? Not who does Pastor Rodney say he is. Who does a preacher say he is? Or who does your grandmother say he is? Or who does your grandfather say he is? But who do you say that he is? Because the reality is, listen, one day we're all going to stand before the Lord. One day 
we will all give an account for our lives. One day, God will look at every single one of us and say, who do you say my son is? And not going to say, well, my grandmother was, you know, a missionary in Africa. That's nice. But who do you say? Well, my grandfather, he was a, a, a Baptist minister. It's not Baptist, it's Baptist. You know, that makes it really solidified, you know. Well, that's nice, and that's great. And, and yeah, your granddad, yeah, he's right over there in the kingdom. Look at him, worshiping me. But who do you say I am? That's where it really matters. It matters not what others think. Well, it's Peter who piped up and he said, why, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, you're the Christ. That word Christ is also Messiah, Christos, the anointed one. Peter said, Lord, you're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. And not only that, but you are the son of the living God. Notice this. He didn't say you are a son of the living God. He said, you are the son or the son, the one and the only son of the living God. Now, I'm amazed by that. I've looked at this chapter a hundred times, and each time I read it, I am amazed that those words came out of the mouth of Peter. (laughs) Remember, Peter was a blue-collar worker. Peter was an uneducated, untrained, unlearned, old, smelly fisherman. And yet he arrives at this deep spiritual theological answer. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's deep. And he didn't go to seminary. And thank God he didn't go to seminary. Because if Jesus, if Peter would have gone to seminary, he probably would have said something like, why, you are the eschatological manifestation of the Magno Dei. And Jesus would have said, what you call me? What'd you say? I'll pop you upside. He would have had some deep feel up me like, what? No. Peter didn't answer from the head. He answered from the heart. Lord, Jesus, I know you are the son of the living God. You are God. He just answered from, not from his head, but from his heart. You know, sometimes education can mess you up. That's the truth. I've never been to seminary, and I don't have any problem with seminary. If If you're a seminary graduate, great. I think it's wonderful. But I'll tell you what, in order to know the things of God, no seminary can teach you the things of God. What? Rodney, you mean I've wasted 40 grand? Well, I don't know. You tell me. No seminary. Hey, listen. For the natural man understands not the things of the spirit. You see, you cannot learn this word because you decide, I'm going to get myself trained to know the Bible. These things are spiritual. Do y'all understand? This book is spiritual. This book requires the Holy Spirit to teach you what he's saying. Now, if you're born again, you have the spirit. So when you read the Bible, it's like having the Holy Spirit sitting right there and you're reading something. and You go, man, I sure don't know what that means. 
And you go, man, the Holy Spirit, what's, what does that mean? Because he wrote it. See, he wrote it. So you just go, man, Lord, what does that mean, Spirit? God, show me what it means. And the Spirit will teach you all things. That's why none of the apostles went to seminary. And all of them were mightily used of God. And all of the theology, are you, you understand, all of the theology that we understand, that we learn, that we live by, that make the foundation of what we believe, and Orthodox Christianity, and the pillars of the church, all came from ignorant and unlearned men. I'm not calling them that. The book of Acts said that about them. They didn't go to seminary. Because you can't learn these things. The Holy Spirit has to teach you. And so Peter comes up with this deep spiritual theological answer. You are the son of the living God. And this Jesus, this son of a living God, the Bible teaches, lived a selfless, sacrificial, sinless life. And he went to the cross and he died voluntarily to pay the price for our sins. And the Bible says that three days later, he physically, bodily rose again from the grave. And might I add, we were in Israel in March of this past year. We looked in the tomb and he's not there. And I know that he physically, bodily. I emphasize that because there's a lot of people who don't believe that. He physically, bodily rose from the grave and he ascended back up into heaven. And someday the Bible says, saints, he is going to come again. Do you believe that? Who do you say he is? And the Bible teaches he's a son of God. The Bible teaches he is God. The Bible says there is one God. And that one God is manifested in three persons, God, the father, God, the son and God, the Holy Spirit. No, not three gods. One God manifested in three persons, the triunity of God. And they're one, but yet they are distinct. The father is not Jesus. Jesus is not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the father. The Bible is clear. God the Father sent God the Son into the world through the virgin wound of Mary, conceived by the agency of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus was conceived in the wound, he was God in the flesh. And when the baby Jesus was born on Christmas morn, he was God, became man. He was every bit God as though he were not man and every bit man as though he were not God. Theologians call this the hypostatic union, the two natures of Christ. And to diminish Jesus or to make him less or even to give him priority. The Bible says it's the spirit of the Antichrist. It is. Jesus was every bit God and every bit man. Not not 50-50, not God sometime, man sometime, 75-25. No, 100% God and 100% man. Well, Peter said, you are the son of God. And I'm sure Jesus probably smiled. He probably smiled. He said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. And Jesus said, Peter, nobody taught you this. You didn't think of this on your own. But the father who is in heaven has revealed this to you, that I am God. And I'm sure Peter was probably thinking, wow, I finally said something right. Because <laughs> Peter, he was something else. <laughs> 
<laughs> he just he just could never get it right. I mean, he just couldn't get it right. But this time, Peter, man, I'm happy for you. I am so happy for Peter. I'm like, I want to celebrate. It's like, good, you got it right. And Jesus knew he got it right. And that's why he commended him. And Jesus goes on to say, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. Now, I want you to look at with me again in verse 18 through 20, because I want to point out, and I want you to take some notes here, I want you want to point out six facts concerning the church. Six facts, briefly, concerning the church. I want you to notice again in verse 18, Jesus says that you are Peter and on this rock I'll build my church. You see that? Before we go any further, let's understand something. In the Bible, this is the first mention of the word church. If you want to understand what the scripture says and you are a good Bible student, then if you ever want to know what a word means, then you want to go back and find out where that word is first mentioned. For example, the word worship is first mentioned in Genesis 22, where Abraham was sacrificing. Worship and sacrifice go together where Abraham was sacrificing his son, Isaac. And so here we have the first mention of the word Church in the Bible. It's the Greek word ecclesia. It means a called out assembly. The Bible talks about the ecclesia in two ways. The Bible talks about a functioning or local congregation, the church, much like here at Calvary Chapel, where a local group of called out believers. This word ecclesia also refers to the forming church, the forming church. Now, this is not the Baptist church. This is not the Methodist church. This is not the Presbyterian church. This is not the Jewish church. This is not the Gentile church. This is not the black church, and this is not the white church. The forming church is the church that is made up of all born-again, redeemed believers in Jesus Christ. If you understand that, say amen. That's huge. The forming church is the church when people become Christians, they are born again, and they are given membership into the church. That's why we don't have membership here, by the way, because if you're not a born-again believer, you can't join the church. You have to be born into it. You can't join it. And so the forming church is made up of all those who are born again, and they are known as the bride of Christ. The local church should be the visible representation of the eternal church or the forming church. So the church is eternal, point number one. Number two, the church's foundation is Jesus. You want to look at that again in verse 18. Notice Jesus said, you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, this is one of those verses that has divided the church for centuries. As many of you know, I was raised in the Catholic church. And in the Catholic church, I was taught that Peter was the first pope. And that Jesus is saying, Peter, I'm going to build my church upon you. And from Peter in the Catholic Church, even today, from Peter down to the present Pope, 
The office of the Pope is handed down in succession through Peter, the authority of the church. This is what I've been taught, and this is what they teach today. I do not believe that this is what Jesus is talking about. I want you to notice Jesus said, you are Peter. In the Greek language, that is Petros, P-E-T-R-O-S, or a small stone, a little rock. And Jesus said, upon this rock, that's a different word. It's Petra or Petra, P-E-T-R-A, which means a large, mammoth, massive, big foundational corner rock. Jesus is not saying, Peter, you are Petra, a massive foundational rock. Jesus is saying, Peter, you are Petros, a small little stone. And beginning with you, Peter, I'm going to build my church. Jesus isn't saying, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. But Peter, I'm going to build my church on your confession that you, what he said was, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You see, we understand, and Peter understood, that he wasn't a rock. That that Jesus is the rock. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.